Spirit, but we need the Word. So, Father, we lift up tonight the Word of God, and I pray that you would come upon me tonight and speak through me your words of life. Let everything be accomplished through this time in the Word that your will be done. Lord, I pray that the Word of God will go forth, and, Lord, it will be like the washing of the water of the Word that will purify Lord, it will be a light shining in the darkness and dispelling any type of darkness of the enemy, the lies, the deception. And Lord, it will clear that out, but it will release life and truth and revelation from you. That the Holy Spirit will be on this word as the spirit of wisdom and revelation. And he will help people to see and understand. Lord, I pray the word will go out like a mighty hammer and will break down every stronghold, everything that the enemy has set up that's not of God things that have been set up in people's minds and a certain way of thinking or pet doctrines that the the power of your word and the spirit of God behind your word will help to break down those old things and bring people into freedom and Lord I pray that the awesome anointing and the glory of the spirit of God will be so strong right now upon this word that by the spirit of God you'll help to captivate all of us to give you our best ear and full attention that the Bible talks about those have eyes to see and ears to hear and, Lord, that you, by your Spirit, would help anoint our eyes and ears to have eyes and ears of the Spirit. We'd be able to see what you're speaking. Lord, that you would anoint and tune our minds into you to not be distracted and, and to not let the enemy steal seed out of our minds, things like that, but to really be able to focus on the Word of God and receive what you have right now. And, Lord, that we in every way would be good, fertile soil for the work of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God and the seeds of truth will go out into that soil and be watered by the Spirit, and that truth will begin to take root in us and grow and produce a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains until Jesus comes. And Lord, grant understanding. I know that these, these studies on the end times are kind of deep, but I pray that you would grant us understanding. Help us, Lord, to really fully grasp the Word of God in this way. We give this time to you, and we bless you. Let us be so caught up in your presence and locked into what you're doing tonight, Lord, that... Um, you know, we're, we're losing track of anything else like the time and all that, things that aren't important. We want to get everything you have for us tonight. That's what's important. And we ask you for it now in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. All right, so spend a little extra time praying tonight over the word. I want you guys to do me a favor tonight. Give me your best ear, okay? This is a, a different kind of sermon. For the next six weeks, between now and the time that the fast is over, really between now and probably um, Tabernacles, Sukkot. Uh, I'm going to be dealing with different sermons. I'm going to be finishing up the Spine of Prophecy series, and then God's given me a few other sermons that I feel like will really help people. And I'm saying that for this reason. Please do your best to try to be here the next six weeks and to really get what God has for you because I feel in my heart that as we've been on this fast, the Lord's been giving me some powerful revelation that I feel like will really help everyone. And he's going to powerfully anoint his word. And so tonight, I'm dealing with part 26 on my little mini-series, right, that uh, I'm doing on the end times. And on, in this, I'm going to be dealing with the man of, man of lawlessness revealed. And I'm going to be dealing with some interesting things. Let me say this up front. I want everybody to please try not to be a distraction, try not to move around, just really focus. This, is, this sermon's got some depth to it and it's going to be kind of different and I want you to just hear me tonight okay because I'm going to be dealing with some things probably that you've never heard talked about 
And so it's going to be a little bit challenging in some ways. And some of it might seem a little weird at first, but I want you just to hear me and pray about it. And I believe that God will give you revelation. But there's some things I want to share tonight that you desperately need to know. So do your best to really grab hold of this tonight. These type of sermons about the end times really help us to discern. You know, Jesus, when he was here, he got angry with the people of his day because he said, you know what? You know how to interpret the skies. You know how to tell when it's about to rain. You know, but you, you can't even discern the, the days of my visitation. And so one of the reasons why I'm preaching like this is because I want people to discern the times. And I believe as I've been preaching along these lines, everybody in River of Life, I believe all of you have come to an awareness that we really are in the last days and we are nearing the coming of the Lord. We really are. All the signs point to it. And so again, I'm going to deal with some things tonight that, that are along these lines. And I'm going to deal with the priestly side, the priestly side of um, Christ and what God wants us to be as a kingdom of priests, okay? So let me just dive into it. First, I want to talk about the man of lawlessness. This is the Antichrist. The false prophet will precede him. So <clears throat> with the rise of the Antichrist being near, let me just say this. I want everybody to please hear me tonight because there's some things I'm saying that you need to hear. But the false prophet is going to precede the Antichrist. That means that the false prophet might very well already be in the earth. It's just that not everybody's discerning who he is yet. Did you hear what I just said? The false prophet's going to precede the Antichrist. Revelation 17 precedes Revelation 18. Revelation 17 primarily deals with the false church and the false prophet. He's going to be, uh, you know, like a John the Baptist to Christ, so to speak. He's going to be a forerunner. He's going to spiritually prepare the way. <clears throat> and with that said, the rise of the Antichrist is so near, I believe that the false prophet may very well be in the earth and people just don't know who he is. And not only that, it may be an office where one man leaves but another man just comes right into that office and that may be kind of that office is going to be where the false prophet resides one day. We'll see. We'll see how it all plays out. All right, so 2 Thessalonians 2 verse 1 says the coming of the Lord in regards concerning the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him, we ask you, brothers and sisters, not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by the teaching allegedly from us, whether by prophecy or word of mouth or by letter, asserting that the day of the Lord has already come. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day will not come until, I want you to remember this, the rebellion occurs, number one, and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. He will oppose and exalt himself over everything that is called God or his worship, so that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. So there's two things that are going to precede the coming of the Lord. The great rebellion, which can be translated the great falling away, or in the Greek it's apostasia, meaning that there's people that said they were Christian, they, they professed that, they were following the Lord, but they have abandoned the faith and forsook Jesus Christ and turned their back on him. That is what an apostate is, and it says that there would be a great apostasia, a great falling away. And so 
I believe with all my heart that we are seeing that happen right now in the world. I mean, you're seeing even whole denominations that are forsaking fundamental truths. You're seeing preachers that are abandoning the core principle belief system of true Christianity. And you're seeing many people that for whatever reason, they're walking away from Jesus Christ and going after other things. So what's happening is, is the Lord is allowing there to be like a line drawn in the sand. And he's saying, who's really for me and who's really against me? The pressure of the time that we live is going to force people to decide which side they're on. And there's not going to be any middle ground, guys. You're either going to be with Christ or you're going to be with the Antichrist. And there won't be any possible way to be in the middle. You're going to have to choose which side you're going to be on. And that's what's happening right now. There's a sifting, a great sifting that's happening. Now, I love what Derek Prince said about the fence. He said, people that ride the fence, when when Lord shows up, he electrifies the fence. So he fries, fries their hiney real good, and then they're going to choose which side they're going to be on, okay? All right, so the world is being prepared for the unveiling of the false prophet in the Antichrist. God put his name in his presence at that area we know as the Temple Mount area, which I'll talk more about this at another time. And that's the next thing. That, that is the next, on, the next thing on God's agenda is going to be the rebuilding of the temple in Israel um, in regards to end time prophecy in Israel. And God is wanting us to live our lives for eternity. The last several sermons I've been dealing with that we've got to shake free from the spirit of the world. And not get so caught up with the things of the world. But we've got to live with an eternal mindset. What's going to matter in eternity? You know, what is going to matter in eternity is going to be the souls that we saw saved. The, the lives that were impacted by the power of God. The, the, you know, the impact that we made for Christ's kingdom while we were here. That's going to matter in eternity. And I believe the Lord is calling out to River of Life. And this is something I feel and something I'm praying about right now. He's calling out to us that we begin to live like never before for eternity. To have an eternal mindset. Not for the here and now too much. And let me tell you something that's going on. I dealt with this in my series I did on deception and mixture. But Satan's servants in this harlot church are speaking right now of making heaven on earth here and now. So in other words, the focus of those that are of the harlot church is that they want heaven on earth now, here on the earth right now. In other words, they want a cessation of war. They want people to lay down their weapons. They want all the different religions to come together and everybody get along and everybody just worship together and all this stuff. And there's no way that's ever really going to truly happen. But let me say this, I believe that the rise of the false prophet and the rise of the antichrist both of them one in a religious sense and the other in a political sense they will sing that song right there they're going to say you know what we're all going to come together we're going to have this um, unification of peace and uh, you know tolerance and love among the nations and the governments are going to come together the religions are going to come together and there's going to be that type of thing but listen the bible says that while they say peace and safety sudden destruction comes on even though there's they're saying that they're saying oh, we're coming to bring peace god says that peace will not be in this world he's come to take peace out of it and that's in the seals remember the seven seals talk about peace being taken from the earth but here's the point i'm trying to make is that you've got to be real careful who you're listening to in regards to sound doctrine because they sound really good. 
They're talking about taking over the governments of the world. They're talking about how the world is getting better and not worse, and they don't realize it, but their, their doctrine is aligning itself, and they don't mean to, but it's aligning itself with the message that the false prophet's going to be preaching. And so what, what the harlot church right now, even right now, is talking about is that we want to bring together the religions, and we want to have tolerance, and we want the world to come into this this time of peace. I'm going to deal with this at another sermon when I deal with Israel, but there's a scripture that says they'll beat their weapons in the plowshares, but that is the millennial reign. There's not going to be that kind of peace in the world until Jesus physically comes here and takes over. The Bible's clear. So if you think that you're going to usher in heaven on earth now, you're really aligning yourself with the message of the false prophet and the Antichrist. That is, in my opinion, one of the main messages they're going to preach is this, we can have peace here. We can all get along. We can, uh, you know, come together and unify. But like I said, and I've said all along throughout this whole series, true peace is not going to come until the Prince of Peace comes. While we're here, the world is going to increasingly hate Christians. And those that have made themselves ready, God's going to capture us out. And the world is going to increasingly hate the Jewish people. Okay? And there's not going to be peace until the Prince of Peace comes and sets everything in order under his government. All right, so another thing I at least need to mention in passing is Daniel's 70 weeks. I'm not going to dwell on this. You know, you can do a study on it yourself. But in Daniel's day, he was given a message where he said that there were 70 weeks that were determined for your people. This is for Israel. This really had nothing to do with the church. I want everybody to understand that. Daniel's 70 weeks were given for Israel. So a a biblical week here is a seven-year period. So everybody just take a moment to let that sink in right there, okay? Because it will get confusing if you don't. A week here in this context is seven years. So when you're dealing with seven weeks, you're dealing with seven times seven, 49 years. Okay, all right. So Daniel's 70 weeks is 70 different seven-year periods. So we're dealing with an extended period of time. But listen to me. The first seven weeks, this is 49 years, were set apart for the rebuilding of the temple and the walls and all of that. It was a restoration time. And then Daniel said after that, he said that there was going to be 62 more weeks. So from the time of, that Daniel prophesied that this would begin, when these weeks would begin, he prophesied that they would begin at a certain point. When they begin, he said from that point, there'd be 69 weeks. So 69 times seven, that that number of years would be there until the Messiah comes. Did you know when Jesus walked the earth was exactly that time frame? So in other words, if Jesus Christ wasn't the Messiah, which we know that he was, there's not going to be one. Because Daniel said that he will come at that time frame that he came. And so, see, the Jewish leaders of that time, they knew the prophet Daniel, and they were looking for his coming. They just missed it. He didn't come the way they thought he would come. 
and he wasn't going to be controlled by their religious system and so they rejected him but see just like you and I might be watching a blu-ray or a dvd and you're sitting here watching this and there comes a point in time where you push pause and maybe you go do something else and then you come back hours later by chance okay and you hit unpause and you finish whatever you're watching that's kind of what happened with Daniel's prophecy because it pertains to Israel it does not have anything to do with the church so the 69 weeks had to do from the beginning where they started all the way to the days of Jesus and it said that he would be cut off and he was in his death and resurrection and that ended the 69 weeks but see the the Jewish people by and large of that time rejected Christ as the Messiah so what happened was God simply pushed pause and he said all right then then the gospel will go to the Gentiles and the last 2,000 years has been the gospel going out to the Gentiles and at the end of that time there's going to come a point in time I believe personally it's going to have to do with the catching away of the bride but there's going to be a point in time where God pushes unpause if you will and that last seven-year period is going to take place which is known as the days of Jacob's trouble and this is the 70th week it's the final work of God regarding Israel because what you got to understand I'm going to do a whole sermon on Israel at another time but just for tonight what you must understand is that God has been gradually systematically working with the nation of Israel exactly verbatim like he said he would I can't get into it tonight I will in a few weeks if you'll be here and hear the sermon I believe you'll be blessed by it but God has been systematically working with the nation of Israel to get everything ready he's been regathering them he's been preparing them and what you have to understand is that there's a process and God said first he would regather them then he would sprinkle them with water and this has to do I can't get into it I'll rabbit trail but it has to do with some of them getting saved and that's going to lead to the 144,000 that are going to be born again and they're going to be spreading the gospel but see that right there is a work of God in Israel during the days of Jacob's trouble the first three and a half years and they're going to be gone and so the last three and a half years of this final week of Daniel is going to be terrible for Israel the Antichrist will pursue them and try to kill them it's going to be a very difficult time but this is meant to break down things in the nation of Israel because the Bible Jesus told them he said you will not see me again until you say blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord and so God is going to allow he's allowed the last 2,000 years to be a judgment so to speak but he's going to allow the 70th week of Daniel to be a judgment that's going to break down the nation of Israel to a place where they're going to be ready to receive Jesus as their Messiah the ones that were part of the 144,000 the ones that believed their message they were caught up they're gone the Jews that remained on the earth were those that were in unbelief and the Antichrist pursued them to destroy them and God's going to allow all this he's going to bring that nation to its knees and they're going to be at a place where they're going to be crying out for the Messiah to come and save them and that's when Jesus is going to come does this make sense so the 70th week the last week of Daniel has not started yet that's what we call the tribulation but the Bible really 
calls it the days of Jacob's trouble because it's going to center around the nation of Israel. So here's what I wanted to say. I'm going to get into something that's controversial for sure. But you guys know me. It's not that I enjoy it. It's just that, it's just that God, I'm going to do preach what God tells me to preach. Amen. All right. Again, I'm having to seriously, I'm not saying this to be funny. I'm having to seriously guard myself to not rabbit trail tonight because I could easily go off. All right. Let me just pause here for a moment. There are two root systems. Everybody say root system. There are two root systems. All right. The first root system goes back to Abraham. This, these roots, okay, this is in the book of Romans, I believe Romans 11, but it talks about the, we're engrafted into that olive tree share from the, the sap that comes from the roots, okay? That root system go, goes back to Abraham and Isaac, then Jacob, then the Jewish people. And all those people that were God's people throughout the Old Testament time, okay? into this day but it's it's a root system and what happened was when the nation of israel by and large rejected christ there were many many um jewish people that accepted christ as the messiah okay so they they remained in that root system but there were people especially the religious leaders that very much rejected him so what happened was that god took this picture an olive tree for a moment it has a root system underneath that was established by God in the earth. Okay, and there's branches. And the branches represent the Jewish people of that time of Jesus' day. The root system represents all those people that were before them. All right. The Jewish people that accepted him as their Messiah, things stayed the same. But those that rejected him as Messiah, they, their branch was cut off. So they were cut off from among God's people. Because now the covenant changed. You're no longer forgiven because of animal blood that's shed. Now you have to come through Messiah to be forgiven. Or your sins won't be forgiven. So they began to be cut off. Some of these branches cut off. And what happened was the Lord kind of pushed pause on Daniel's prophecy. And he says the gospel is now going to go to the Gentiles. And what has happened with the Jewish people for the last 2,000 years, God still deeply loves them, but there's been a judgment. And they were scattered, they were dispersed. The diaspora is what they called it. They were dispersed among the nations, and they were persecuted among the nations. But whenever the Gentiles believed in Jesus, in Hebrew, Yeshua, okay, Jesus, when they accepted the Messiah of Israel, they accepted him as their Savior. The Bible says that God took this wild branch over here and he grabbed it and he engrafted it into the tree where those that were cut off were gone but now they were engrafted the Gentiles were engrafted in so what you see now is an olive tree with a root system that goes back to Abraham that have branches that are both Jew and Gentile together and just like I gave that illustration that time I was trying to show people how God sees it now but I had a, a big prayer shop here, Talit, and I had my wife on my left representing Israel, and I had Brienne on my right representing the bride of Christ, 
and I pulled that tallit over both of them and I was representing Jesus. That's how God sees the body of Christ now. He doesn't see Jew and Gentile in the body of Christ. He simply sees that we are in Christ. That's why the Bible says there's neither male nor female, Jew nor Gentile. Or, you know, it's, we're in Christ. We're engrafted into him. So what you've got to understand is, is that your spiritual inheritance goes back to the nation of Israel and back to Abraham. I want everybody to please understand that because Satan has stolen this from the body of Christ and I, I have to guard myself because I'm going to do a totally different sermon where I explain this a lot better. But that root system is actually your inheritance. Now, there's a totally different root system. Here's what happened. Constantine was a Roman emperor, like Caesar, okay, a Roman emperor. He professed that he saw some vision in the sky and that he believed in Jesus. Even though his life, he still participated with the other pagan gods as well. But who are we to judge? I don't know if he's in heaven or not. All I know is the fruit that is in his life. But he professed Christianity. What happened was this. He took the church and Rome and married them together. This, at that time, perverted Christianity. And it became what we know as the Roman Catholic Church. And it was a, a counterfeit. It was a, a false form of Christianity so bad that the gospel of Jesus Christ was completely gone the belief became that you have to be saved by being right with the Catholic Church that's how you got into heaven and it was that way for a long time in fact the Catholic Church at that time was pursuing this is if you don't believe me look it up because this is just facts that you can easily look up for yourself they actively pursued, tortured, imprisoned, killed, burned alive, true Christians. Because the true Christians would not go along with their belief system that I have to be right with this institution to go to heaven. I have to be right with Jesus. And they would call him a heretic, chase him down, and kill him. That is a root system. That root system that came from the Catholic Church, what you have to understand is that root system right there was not planted by God. This was actually a move of the enemy. Out of that root system came our reformers. And I'm going to read to you what our reformers believed. Even though they came out of the Catholic Church, the Catholic Church had not come out of them. Just like it took a while for Moses when he left Egypt. Moses left Egypt, but it took 40 years in the backside of a wilderness to get all that Egypt out of Moses so that Moses could come back and liberate God's people. So let me just show you what I'm talking about here. So you've got two different root systems. You've got that which is founded in Abraham and then that which is founded that goes back to the Catholic Church and then the reformers. Now look at this. So Martin Luther, he knew that the Catholic Church was very corrupt. They were teaching people that you could buy, like for example, it's called indulgences. This was the straw that broke the camel's back with Luther. 
indulgences was that I could go to a priest and I could pay X amount of dollars so that I could go sin. And the priest would just say, okay, you are forgiven. That was really what set Luther off. That was, if things were leading up to this point, it was like the Holy Ghost was working on him. He was really just gradually getting more and more irritated with things that he saw. And being that he was a monk, he was able to actually study the word for himself. So he knew what the Bible said. And that scripture really got in his spirit that said that you are saved by grace through faith in Christ. It's not of works, but it's by faith in Christ that you're saved. And that scripture got into him and he realized, hey, wait a second. It's not going to be whether a priest tells me, hey, you're saved today. No, it's going to be by my faith in Christ that I'm saved. And he realized that. And he saw all the worship that was going on to relics and idols. And it offended him. And so at some point in time, he decided, I've had enough. And he wrote a thesis. It had 95 different points on it that ticked him off about the Catholic Church he felt were ungodly. He nailed it to a door of a Catholic Church in Wittenberg. And he started the Reformation. And there was a lot of people that followed him. But the, again, the Catholic Church began to put out contracts against their life to have them killed. And thankfully, God spared them. But that's where we get the Lutheran Church. It goes back to Martin Luther, okay? Now, I want you to see something. Even though Luther split off the Catholic Church and he said, look, I don't believe that anymore. I believe my salvation comes through Christ and Christ alone. It is by faith in Christ that I'm saved it's not gonna be through an institution it's by faith in Christ even though he believed that there were other areas of his life that were still indoctrinated by the Catholic Church how many knows whenever you grow up in something your whole life and you've been taught a certain way it's gonna take some time to get all that out of you well the Catholic Church also believed in what's called replacement theology <clears throat> this is where they believe that they being the true universal church they believe that they are the true universal church of Jesus Christ they do not believe that other people are going to be able to go to heaven except through them but anyway I'm not going to get off on that but they believe that they replaced Israel that God threw Israel away he's done with them and now everything is through the Catholic Church that's what they believe and so that was indoctrinated in Luther. Now I want you to see, even though Luther accepted Christ, and even though he split off, and even though he started some good churches as far as accepting Christ, his attitude toward the Jewish people became very bad. This, what I'm about to read you, the, the word vitriol comes to mind. I mean, it's just, it's like this hatred. Because see, as he, he was going to the Jewish people to try to, witness to them about Jesus and they didn't want anything to do with Jesus and so it made him angry and he began to retaliate toward them but listen again I'm, I'm aware of this rabbit trail okay right here but I'm gonna make the statement leave it God had already predetermined in his holy word how he's going to deal with Israel and it wasn't till the latter days that they were going to be open to the gospel so what he was doing was he was trying to push open the door that God hadn't opened. Amen? 
It wasn't the time yet. And it made him angry that they didn't want Christ. All right, let me just read you some of this. I don't know if I'll read all of it, but this is what Luther wrote. Now, he was a Protestant father of the faith. So all of the Christians of that time that left the Catholic Church and had accepted Christ as their Savior, and they were true Christians, but this was the, their leader, and this is what he was telling them. He said, what shall we Christians do with this rejected and condemned people, the Jews? Now, listen, you wonder why some of the Jewish people are scared of Christians. They know history better than a lot of other people. And they know about this. I'm sure that they've read this and been taught this in their school. So listen to this. Martin Luther, the great Christian leader of 1517 time frame, says, what will we do with these rejected, condemned people to Jews since they live among us? We dare not tolerate their conduct now that we are aware of their lying and their reviling and their blasphemy. Blaspheming. If we do, we become sharers in their lies, cursing and blasphemy. Thus, we cannot extinguish the unquenchable fire of divine wrath of which the prophets speak, nor can we convert the Jews. With prayer and fear of God, we must practice a sharp mercy to see whether we might save at least a few from the glowing flames. We dare not avenge ourselves. Vengeance a thousand times worse than we could wish them already has them by the throat. I give you my sincere, my sincere advice. Here we go. Now, this is what he advised the church. Now, I'm telling you, about two different root systems. What root system are you going to be attached to? Here we go. He said, first, set fire to their synagogues, their schools, and bury and cover with dirt whatever you do not burn so that no man will ever see a stone or cinder of them. This is to be done in honor of our Lord, hello, and of Christendom, so that God might see that we as Christians, I mean, I'm reading this thinking Jesus was a Jew. Okay, those that just got what I said realize how ridiculous and stupid because in other words, if Jesus was alive at this time, they'd be burning his synagogue and you know what I'm saying? Anyway, and do not condone or knowingly tolerate such public lying, cursing and blaspheming of his son, of his Christians and of his Christians for whatever we tolerate in the past unknowingly and I myself was unaware of it, we will be pardoned by God. But if we now that we are informed were to protect and shield such a house for these Jews, existing right before our very nose in which they lie about blaspheme curse vilify and defame christ and us as we heard above it would be the same as if we were doing all this and even worse ourselves as we very well know okay second he said i advise you that their houses be raised and destroyed does that sound like a christ-like witness does this sound like that jewish people are going to go hey you know i want this jesus i mean i know that you're laughing at how absurd this is but truthfully this this there was a lot of jewish people that um, really despised Jesus Christ because of this horrible activity. He said this, for they pursue in them the same aims as their synagogues. Instead, they might be lodged under the roof or a barn like gypsies. So in other words, Luther said, I advise you to make them homeless. So number one, burn their synagogues, bury everything. Make, secondly, make them homeless. Guys, hold on just a second, please listen. Number three, I advise that all their prayer books and Talmudic writings in which such idolatry, lies, cursing, and blasphemy are taught be taken from them. Fourth, I advise that their rabbis be forbidden, forbidden to teach henceforth on pain of loss of life and limb. 
for they have justly fortified the right to such an office by holding the poor Jews captive with the sayings of Moses. And then skip down to number five. It says, fifth, I advise safe conduct on highways be abolished for the Jews, for they have no business in the countryside since they are not lords, officials, tradesmen, or the like. Let them stay at home. Remember that they were supposed to be homeless. So, I mean, where are they going to stay? Number six, I advise that usury be prohibited to them and that all cash and treasure of silver and gold be taken from them. So, in other words, completely take away all their wealth and don't loan them money. And then number seven, I commend putting a flail, an axe, a hoe, a spade, a distaff, or a spindle into the hands of the young, strong Jews and Jewesses and letting them earn their bread in the sweat of their brow as was imposed on the children of Adam. For it is not fitting that they should let us accursed Gentiles, as we saw about, toil in the sweat of our faces while they, the holy people, idle away their time behind the stove, feasting and farting, that's what he said, and on top of all, boasting blasphemously of their lordship over the Christians by means of our sweat, no one should toss out these crazy rogues, by, uh, no, we should toss out these crazy rogues uh, by the seat of their pants. <coughs> wow. That's a very anti-Semitic, hateful rant, isn't it? So in other words, the Catholic Church, this root system, please hear me tonight. Y'all need to hear this because I promise you, you're probably not going to hear this too many places. This root system is not established by God. It was established by a Roman emperor that wanted to marry the church with Rome. That is this root system. And the Catholic Church began syncretism where they began to blend Christianity with other religions. That's where you get things. I know that people, this is going to, some of the things I'm teaching tonight is so outside of the understanding, the mindset, the concept of so many people that it's literally going to blow their mind. But for example, Easter, Easter, the word Easter is not in the Bible. I mean, I think most of you guys here know this. And what was celebrated by the early church is Passover. So where do we get Easter? Where do we get the bunny and the eggs? Was the bunny and the eggs there at the cross? Was the bunny and eggs there somehow in, in Jerusalem during that time? I and mean, where do we get this? Okay, when you go back, this is just one of, a, I don't even know how many examples I could give about the Catholic Church, but they took the worship of Ishtar, her pagan worship in Rome, her symbols were the bunny and the eggs and it was fertility they took that the catholic church did and syncretized that with christianity blended the two together so now you have the worship of the christian god mixed with a pagan deity and that's what the catholic church did all the time i mean this wasn't like a one-time event not to mention the doctrines that they changed where they began to pray to and worship mary and I don't want to get off on too much stuff because I could spend a long time there. But my point is this. That root system was not established by God. That root system was established by man. And down through the ages in that root system, you have a lot of idolatry. You have a lot of paganism. Are y'all hearing me? Let me say it again. You have a lot of idolatry. How many of you can say that with your eyes you've seen Catholic people worship idols? Because I have. Okay, you have a lot of idolatry. You have paganism, like you wouldn't believe, and you have the blood of the martyrs that were shed by the Catholic Church down through the centuries as they literally hunted down and killed true Christians, burning them alive. For example, John Huss is just one. 
So with that said, even though Luther left the Catholic Church, the Catholic Church did not fully leave Luther. Now here are some other people that were leaders in the body of Christ at this time. John Calvin. Man, Calvin, I'll give you an example, one example of Calvin. He burned a guy alive with um, fresh wood so it would take a long time because he disagreed with him, because he disagreed with his doctrine. So John Calvin may have been a Protestant, but there was still a lot of the Catholic Church in that man. But he said about the Jews, they should be oppressed unendingly without measure or end. They should die in their misery without any pity of anyone. Well, that's just a lovely Christian attitude, isn't it? I don't even say that about ISIS. And they're not my favorite people, by the way. I, I pray for them. I'm upset with what they're doing, but I still pray for them. Hillary Bishop of Poitiers, how have you say that? He said, I will not eat with the Jews. The Jews are people are resisted in iniquity and glorify wickedness, which is not true. Jerome was a powerful priest, and he said, there could never be for expiation for the Jews. God has always hated them. They are assassins of Christ. Christians should always hate the Jews. Now listen, he said they are assassins of Christ. If I remember the story right, I'm pretty sure I read it more than once. I'm pretty sure it was Roman soldiers that nailed him to that cross, right? And also, I'm pretty sure more than that, it was your sins and my sins that put him on that cross. Amen? But you still hear some of this stuff today. Bishop John Christensen said he was respected as a great theologian and published eight sermons expressing great hatred for the Jews. He stated, because God hates the Jews, which he does not, it is the duty of Christians to hate them. The synagogue is worse than a brothel. It is a den of scoundrels. Augustine of Hippo said this, The Jews were the sons of God, but now they are the sons of Satan. The true image of the Hebrews is Judas Iscariot, who sells their Lord for silver. The Jews will never understand the scriptures and are forever to bear the guilt of the death of Christ. All right, so what you're seeing here is a real strong hatred of the Jewish people that was right at the beginning of the Protestant Reformation. You understand, these were the leaders. They split off the Catholic Church, and they began right at the beginning to say, this is how we're supposed to treat the Jews. This is how you're supposed to feel about the Jews. There wasn't a nation of Israel to be talking about here. It was just those that had been scattered among the nations. So what you have to understand is, is if you're not careful, your root system, let me say this again, if you're not careful, your spiritual root system can go right back to this, what I'm reading. This is why, why am I preaching like this? Because this has a lot to do with the end times. And when I get to the end of this sermon, you're going you're gonna to say, man, I've never thought about some of this. This is a big issue with God. The church did not replace Israel in God's plan. God is still working with Israel. I will preach again on this at a later time. But the church is a result of Israel's rejection of the Messiah. And let me just say something. And again, I'm watching this rabbit trail as well. Okay, I'm aware of it. But you and I 
would not have the Bible if it wasn't for the Jewish people. Let's go through this real quick. Tonight we took Holy Communion. You, you would not have communion if it wasn't for the Jewish people tonight. I spoke a blessing over you guys. You, you and I wouldn't even know what that is if it wasn't for the Jewish people. We had praise and worship tonight. People were dancing. You and I would not know how to worship God, let alone be worshiping the one true God. We wouldn't even know who the one true God is if it wasn't for Israel. I'm preaching out of the Bible tonight. You and I would not have a Bible, Old or New Testament, if it wasn't for the Jewish people. Every spiritual blessing that we have came through the nation of Israel. God the Father married himself to that nation. And out of that union, just like a husband and a wife come together and they bring forth a child, out of the union God had with the nation of Israel, it's like a woman giving birth. They gave birth to the law, the prophets, the priesthood, everything. Ultimately, Jesus Christ. You and I would not have Jesus, the Messiah of Israel today, and our sins would not be forgiven if it wasn't for the Jewish people. Would you guys agree that I'm telling you the truth tonight? All right. As I get to the end of this sermon, you're going to understand why I spent some time on that. There's two different root systems. And this is a rhetorical question, but which root system do you want to be engrafted into? Do you want your root system going back to the Protestant reformers in the Catholic Church, and that's where your spiritual roots are connected, and that's what you're drawing from? Or do you want your root system going back to the nation of Israel and the roots that Romans 11 talks about that Paul said we're engrafted into that olive tree is that where you want your root system that's where I want my root system all right now at the very end of this this is going to make sense I'm going to bring it all together okay but let me just say here about Jesus and the talit You have to understand something, guys. When Jesus comes, even now as Jesus is being revealed, Jesus is Jewish. And John, is it chapter 4, I believe, maybe around verse 22, when Jesus was talking to the Samaritan woman, he told the Samaritan woman, he said, you Samaritans worship things you really don't understand. But he said, we Jews worship what we do understand. And he said this statement, salvation comes from the Jews. So the reason why I'm spending a sermon on this issue is this point right here, and it'll make sense as I go, is that there's about to be a counterfeit Messiah come on the scene in the earth. And people that do not know the real Messiah and people that do not understand the things I'm preaching on today, they are very likely to be deceived and end up connected to that counterfeit Messiah. Let me say that one more time because I want everybody to get that. There is about to be a counterfeit Messiah that's going to emerge on the scene. And if people don't know the real Messiah who is Jewish 
and they don't really know him, they're liable to be deceived and sucked into this counterfeit Messiah. It's important where your root system is because it is very possible that those two root systems I'm talking about, it is very, very possible that that root system that God never planted in the first place is going to become the end time harlot church and is going to go the way of the Antichrist. Did everybody catch that? But the other root system that God planted, and that's eternal, that root system is going to stay firmly grounded in the God of Israel and his Messiah, Jesus. And it won't be moved. All right, so Jesus in his culture, being Jewish, would have wore his tallit all the time. Nowadays, um, Jewish people don't wear the tallit all the time. This is the prayer shawl, okay? But at that, in this time, they would have, especially being a rabbi. All right, now li listen to this. This is interesting because I'm going to explain to you something in Revelation 19. There's no doubt that he wore his tallit when praying. So in Mark 135, whenever Peter came and interrupted Jesus' prayer time, remember that? There's no doubt in my mind that Jesus had his prayer shawl on and was praying. And Jesus taught to get in your closet and pray, yet most praying that the Jewish people did was at the temple. So I personally believe in my opinion that's a reference to the prayer shawl, like you're getting alone in your own little closet there and praying. For God to hear you, not for man to see you. See, some of these people at that time, they were having their prayer shawl, they were making their tassels like really long, you know, so that everybody, look at, look how long this guy's tassels are. He's super spiritual. And he would go in there and pray, you know, and, and they wore the, the phylacteries, which I'm going to have to get some and show you guys so you understand it, but they, they'd make them extra big. You know, it's this big, massive thing on their forehead sticking out. I am super spiritual. Look at me. And Jesus was saying, when you go into your closet, he said, don't do that. You know, when people pat him on the back and tell him, hey, you are so spiritual, they, he said, they've got their reward right there. He said, you go in your closet and you pray for God to hear you with a sincere heart. The reference in Malachi 4.2, healing in his wings. There's a Psalm 91 that says, under the shadow of the Lord's wings, we find refuge. So secret place dwellers, people that are, prayer warriors there's a literal place of being under the wings of the lord but the to the jewish culture that represented the pershaw you were under the wings see that the word talit means little tent they were coming underneath the, their little house of god their little house of prayer under the wings of the lord so when jesus was walking he was on his way to a certain location there was a woman with the issue of blood that knew that the scripture in malachi referred to that the son of righteousness would arise with healing in his wings. And if you look at the tassels on those prayer shawls, they have like five knots and different things on them, and it represents the name of God and the word of God and the promises of God. That's what it represents. So she knew, hey, wait a second. The son of righteousness arises with healing in his wings. And she knew that the, under the shadow of the wings, they all knew that that was a reference of the prayer shawl. So she was so desperate, she, she thought to herself, if I can just grab the corner of his garment, if I can just grab that tassel, okay, in the, in the Hebrew they call it the tzitzit, but if I could just grab that, and she, she worked through the crowd, she reached up there and she grabbed the tassel 
of Jesus' prayer shawl. And when she did, the Bible says healing virtue shot through her and she was completely healed. And Jesus was walking along with people all around him and stops and says, hey, wait a second, who touched me? And Peter and them were like, who didn't touch you? You know, there's people all around you. And Jesus said, no, 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 somebody, somebody tapped in right now, okay? And he's looking around and that woman was there and she was probably a little scared because she was ceremonial unclean. She's not supposed to be out in public touching people. And she was, a little, she was a little scared, but Jesus said, don't worry about it. Your faith has made you whole. Go in peace. But she knew that there was something there in his prayer shawl. And so Jesus goes on to where he was going, and he went to pray for Jairus' daughter who had died. And so Jairus' daughter lay dead on the bed. Everybody was weeping. Everybody was mourning. And you have to understand in this culture, to, to be around a dead body made you unclean. Okay, so they, the people that were there mourning her would not be able to go straightway to the temple. They had to go be ceremonial, ceremonially cleansed. Then they could go to the temple. But Jesus comes in, and to everybody's surprise, he goes right in and says, don't worry about it, she's just asleep. And everybody laughs at him, you know. But he goes in, and look at what he says. In Mark 5, 41, he spoke to this girl. He put everybody out of the room, okay, except for, I believe, Peter, James, and John were with him, but everybody else was out. And he spoke to her and said, Talitha kumi. And you can see right there in that word, talit, right there. So some people believe that what Jesus actually probably did was he went in there and he took off his prayer shawl, his talit, and he draped it over the dead girl and he spoke to her and said, get up. And this was not an isolated incident, by the way, about this woman with the issue of blood. Many touched the tassels on the corners of Jesus' prayer shawl and were healed. In Mark 6, 56, it said that there were many people, read it for yourself, there were many people that came and they touched the corner of Jesus' garment, the tassels, uh, the tzitzit, and they, and they laid hold of that promise and they were totally healed. This was a priestly garment. You guys remember, there's a, there's a phrase, I really love this. It, it's whenever Balaam was up with Balak and they were trying to curse Israel, Balaam said, how beautiful for your tents, Jacob. You remember when he said that? In the Hebrew, he said, matovu oheleka. And the, the ohel was part of the covering over the tabernacle. And then the next phrase was mishkenoteka, Israel, where you get that mishkin, that was the covering of the tabernacle. But a lot of people think that, that um, Balaam was up there and he saw not only the tabernacle and not only the tents, but he saw the Jewish men that were praying under their, their, um, their tallit, their little tent. And he said over Israel, how beautiful your tents, Jacob, your dwelling place is Israel. But it's a priestly garment. The part at the top is like in, when they wear it, it's like a crown that goes across. If you look at the priest, the Aaronic priesthood we have a picture back there they had a gold plate on their forehead that said holy unto God even a lot of the prayer shawls to this day they make them with a color scheme like the priestly garments with white blue and gold the priest would worship and pray daily but this is the interesting part about the Talit I wanted to get to was this Caiaphas under Jewish law it was strictly forbidden Caiaphas was wearing the the Aaron's garments okay what you see up there he was wearing the robe he was wearing the blue ephod and the gold and they had the blue ephod reinforced right here real thick and it specifically said under Jewish law you were never to rip that garment 
under the pain of death, mind you. And so Caiaphas, whenever Jesus was standing before him, and Caiaphas says, I adjure you in the name of the Lord that you, or the name of God, that you will tell me if you're the Messiah or not. Well, under Jewish law, Jesus had to respond at that point because the high priest commanded him to do so. So he said, yes, it is as you say. You'll see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of glory. He had to respond because the high priest commanded him. And Caiaphas grabs his robe and rips it. Everybody there in that Sanhedrin knew the scriptures and knew, man, this guy is in trouble. And what happened was it was preordained by God that Caiaphas was basically saying this priesthood is now over. Now watch this. Jesus goes to the cross and there's a garment that was seamless and the Roman guards didn't want to, they didn't want to cut it up and so they wanted to cast lots for it to see who ended up with it. Many people believe, and I'm one of them, that this was actually Jesus' prayer his tallit. No doubt he was wearing it through all he went through, so it was probably had a lot of blood on it, you know. But this was very possibly his prayer shawl. And the Roman soldiers might have heard about all the healings and miracles that were connected to this prayer shawl, and they didn't want to divide it up. They just wanted to cast lots so somebody could end up with it. Now, if that's so, keep all that in mind as you read the book of Revelation right here. In Revelation 19, 13, it says about Jesus when he comes, he's dressed in a robe dipped in blood. His name is the word of God. On his robe and his thigh is written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Could that be his Pershaw? I believe it is. As he's riding on a horse, that that is a robe dipped in blood, his own blood, and that right down the, the thigh area would fall, the corners, where a lot of these Pershaws, if you look at the corners, they'll have writing there. And on Jesus' Pershaw, when he comes, it's going to say on those corners, King of kings and Lord of lords. All right, now let me shift gears and get into something completely different. I'm going to close out with the root system, okay? You can't talk about the end times without talking about this at some point, and it's just weird. Everybody say, Pastor. Pastor. It's just weird. But well, we got to talk about it, right? <laughs> All right, well, Jesus said this in Matthew 24, 37. As it was in the days of Noah, it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. So listen. The days of Noah were weird days. Have you ever read about the days of Noah? In the days of Noah, yes, there was violence, but there was the Nephilim. Now, I'm going to tell you something that if you didn't know was in your Bible, your, your mind's going to be blown. So just get ready for that. And then and just try to, you know, get back on track with me. But in the Bible, in Genesis chapter 6, there were fallen angels that came down and had sex with human women and produced a race called the Nephilim. That is in your Bible. Yes, it is. If you didn't know it, your mind just blew now let's all get back focused together. Okay, it is in the Bible. But it says in there, that is basically why God flooded the entire earth and destroyed because most likely in Noah's day, it said Noah was blameless in his generation. It is very likely that phrase blameless in his generation means that his blood was not mixed with the demonic. It is very likely that Noah was the last remaining person, him and his family, that did not have some kind of a tainting of the demonic in their blood. 
And so God in his infinite mercy says, I'm going to tell Noah to build this ark and I'm going to save him and his family. But it's interesting because in Genesis 6, it says in those days were the Nephilim, but also afterward. Go back and read all this because I want you to study it out for yourself. There's specifically in the land of Canaan, as you read um, the Bible, you can see that there were tribes, the Anakim and the Rephaim, that were known to be Nephilim. And Goliath with his giant self and six fingers and six toes was, was definitely Nephilim, okay? Or Nephilim, however you want to say. So this was there. I mean, it was going on. And in the land of Canaan, things were so corrupt, so bad, so perverted. These people were so deeply entrenched in the occult and, and weird, weird activity. And there was giants that were there because there was fallen angels that were procreating with human women. That's why that was there. And so God told the nation of Israel, I want you to go in on a conquest. I want you to eradicate, eradicate that land from all these that are there because, because of these evil, abominable practices that they're doing, I'm going to use you to cleanse the earth of them. Now let me talk about the UFO thing for a moment. All right. There are things going on, but they're not what people think. A lot of people think that there really are true like um, aliens from other planets that are visiting us, okay? <laughs> and let me say this. This is going to surprise some of you, but you can look this up. There are more and more educated people, scientists, people like that, that are believing in extraterrestrial life. Did you know there's a scripture in the Bible that says that because they did not love the truth, they were given over to a delusion? There was a man that uh, Ben Stein was interviewing. He was an atheist. And Ben Stein had gotten him all the way down to the point of saying, look, then where did the original cell come from, from which everything else originates, you know? I mean, you get somebody nailed down to a point, it's like, well, I believe it evolved from this and this and this and this. And finally, you get all the way down to the original little cell or whatever that everything else comes from whatever they want to call it if i've heard different names for different things but the original something from which everything else came it's like well where'd that come from and as he was interviewing him this atheist scientist goes well i believe that it was a seed plant from extraterrestrial life that they came and seeded this planet and this is a well-known atheist, somebody that's a scientist. So here's the point. Somebody that just flat refuses to believe in God and the Bible. They just refuse to. I, no matter what you say to them, they've determined, I am not going to believe that. So what? They have to believe something. So they realize this has to be an intelligent design. There's no way that this just poof happened. So what are they saying now? Well, actually, it was extraterrestrials that did all this. As crazy as that sounds to you, there's more and more people that believe that. This is becoming widespread. This is something that more and more scientists, and you, if you watch the History Channel, more and more programs are being devoted to this. They're trying to convince people. And see, here's the other thing. I'm bringing up the, the Nephilim for a reason too. You can go in certain places and see where the Nephilim used to live. I mean, they, these there's huge stones that weigh thousands and thousands of tons. I mean, 
It's not even humanly possible with our technology today to lift these stones and move them or to cut them like that. They came from the days of Noah back with the Nephilim and these giants and either it was supernatural what they were doing like levitating and moving them or they just picked, got a whole bunch of giants together and said, we're going to lift this thing up. You know, I don't know how, you know, we weren't there, we don't know, right? But whenever they say, they're asked about, well, what about these megalithic structures and these things like this that there's no logical explanation, there's no way that there were human beings that did this back in those days because we can't even do it today with our technology. How do you explain that? They say, aliens came and the aliens did it and you know it's like they don't want to believe the bible they don't want to believe that god created the heavens and the earth they don't want to believe that there were actually giants like the bible says that did those things so they've got to come up with another explanation and their other explanation sounds ridiculous to me and you but more and more people are believing it so I bring this up because there's different theories about the Antichrist. One theory is that the Antichrist is going to be just a political leader that emerges, and there's, there's truth to that. I mean, he is going to be that. The other theory is that he's going to be a Muslim, and he's going to be viewed as their Messiah. Maybe. I mean, I'm not totally convinced of that theory myself, but, you know, hey, maybe. Maybe. There's other theories, one of which is this, that he's going to be viewed as and seen as some kind of superior life form that came down among us. So if he's viewed as some superior life form that came down from, you know, from wherever to us, some people believe that that is going to be the way he's seen at least by some. So let me give you some things about some of the bizarre. And again, this is hard to talk about because it's weird. Okay, a lot of people hear this and think, man, what in the world? But there are a lot of people, I mean, so many people now that you cannot discount what they're saying that have said that they have had some kind of creepy experience that they cannot explain that they thought was, was um, like aliens or something, you know. And this one guy said it best. He said, look, he said, I believe in it because it happened to my sister. But he said, this, was a, this is what happened. He says, she was in her room, and these little beings tried to come in that looked just like aliens, and she got really scared. I mean, she was terrified, and she felt fear. But because she was a Christian, and she was raised in a Christian home, she said, in the name of Jesus, I command you to get out of here. And they ran off. All right, now, that right there opens up everything that I want to talk about. If they were really aliens, they would have said, who's Jesus? We never heard of him. They're not aliens, they're demons. And this whole um, UFO phenomenon, excuse me, is going to be a very good ruse to explain away the rapture when it happens because all of a sudden, you know, millions of people professing Christians are gone and you got to understand the world's going to hate Christians more and more and we're going to be viewed as the haters that won't go along with everybody else you know they want a one world religion they want a one world government and the Christians are going we, we're not going to take your mark we don't want anything to do with it we're not going to go along with this one world religion we have the truth it's more and more going to become that way and so when we're gone it's going to look like hey 
the aliens came and got rid of the hindrances to society that refused to go along with our advancement. <laughs> and they're going to view the world as a better place because we're gone. <laughs> but let me give you a couple quick things and I'll get off this. But it said in the Bible, listen, this has got to sink in. Some people here in the say, man, this is the craziest thing. It says in the Bible that it will be as it was in the days of Noah at the coming of Christ. Jesus Christ said those words. It's recorded in the Bible. Either Jesus is a liar or he's telling us the truth. So it's going to be like that in the last days. There's going to be some kind of Nephilim something going on. There has to be. Jesus said there would be. Did you know that right now that people that experience some kind of weird abduction or whatever... A lot of these people are not Christians, so they don't know what's going on. They, they think it is aliens. Did you know that there's being little implants being put in them? But you know what's interesting? In satanic rituals, there are also implants put in people. Let me, show, let me show you a few more. People say that these abductions are extremely sexual in nature. Now, isn't it interesting that the Nephilim, that there's sexual, there were sexual relations that produced this weird hybrid race okay but these abductions are extremely sexual in nature all right also satanic rituals are very sexual in nature and abductees are saying hey i felt like i was on some kind of cold slab being prodded and poked and stuff did you know that satanic rituals will put people on a cold slab to be tortured so what I'm saying is, is that there's, there's a perfect parallel between what these people are experiencing they think is alien and just a satanic ritual. But there is something going on, and we have to recognize that it, there is something going on. Too many people are seeing things, experiencing things. I do not believe that it's alien at all. I believe it's totally demonic. And I believe that it's there to confuse people and to get people to believe in extraterrestrial life instead of believing in God. It's aliens that put us here. I believe it's there to explain away the rapture. I believe it's there to try to deceive the masses. Let me close with these couple thoughts right here. So after the, I can't spend as much time on this as I wanted to, but after the, the earth was flooded, they created the Tower of Babel. The Tower of Babel was to reach to the sky. I doubt that they had the understanding that the higher you go, the more likely you are to die. So, I mean, they might have had a mentality like, you know, maybe we're going to go up and dethrone God or we're going to be God. Or, but let me give you a scenario. It's reported, at least in the book of Enoch, that angels came down on a mountaintop. Could it be that Nimrod was trying to do something that he had heard about. He was trying to connect with something. All right. It says in the Bible that Nimrod began to become a mighty man of war. He is the one that started the Mystery Babylon cults, okay? Now I want you to just see this crazy scripture right here. So the earth was flooded. God purged it from the Nephilim. Now they're creating a Tower of Babel. Nimrod becomes their leader. What a name, right? anyway, Nimrod was, um, he was a master occultist. There's no doubt in my mind. I, I, I'm going to show you here. All right, let's go back to the Hebrew. He began to become a mighty one. Now, 
The word he began is halal in Hebrew, and it means to profane, defile, pollute, desecrate. Now think about that for a minute. He began. It means to defile yourself. What, is, what in the world are we seeing here in the Hebrew? And then it says to become. The word become there is hayah in Hebrew. To become what? A mighty one or a mighty warrior. And the, the word there for mighty one is gibor. And it means powerful warrior, tyrant, giant, mighty man, strong, valiant man. Could it be that Nimrod was trying, at least on his end of it, to his purpose of going up this hill was to perform occult rituals of some kind to defile himself so that he could become a mighty one. Okay, let me put it this way. To this day, people that get into Satanism, what is their reason for getting into it? Because they want to gain power. Could it be that Nimrod was the first one after the flood to pursue that, to pursue power? Through maybe some weird satanic uh, sexual rituals or bloodshed rituals, whatever he was doing, that he was doing things deliberately, trying to defile himself so that he could become a mighty warrior. And his wife, Semiramis, was pregnant. And this is recorded, not in the Bible, this is just um, tradition, okay? But it was recorded that she was pregnant, and her son's name was Tammuz. And Seth, the son of Adam, I'm sorry, son of Noah, was a righteous man and heard about what Nimrod was doing and went there and killed him. And after Nimrod was killed, Semiramis, probably being a Jezebel, said, I can't lose power control. And so she says, look, Tammuz in my stomach is actually Nimrod being reincarnated. Well, when you read in the Bible in Jeremiah and other places where it talks about how God was angry with the children of Israel because even in the temple area, they were weeping for Tammuz. Did you, do you understand this was a false counterfeit Messiah? It was like a fake death and resurrection So in these last days, there's going to be some of this weird occult stuff going on. The, the Nephilim, the, what, um, this guy here, Nimrod. <laughs> My favorite name in the Bible, right? Nimrod. What Nimrod, what he was doing, it, there's something going to be going on in these last days that's going to be very bizarre, okay? So we know the story of the book of Ruth. I'm just going to read this and we'll pray. But Elimelech and Naomi. Now listen, I want you to hear this because this is where it all ties together. So please just give me your best here, here at the end. Elimelech and, and Naomi were Jews living in Bethlehem with two sons, Malon and Kilion. They left Bethlehem and moved to a Gentile nation, Moab, because of the famine. While in Moab, Elimelech dies. Then Naomi, I keep saying Naomi, isn't that great? Naomi's two sons Hold on, let me get another drink of coffee. Something's going on. No. Oh, all right. Naomi's two sons die. She's left a widow with her two daughter-in-laws. All right. The two daughter-in-laws' name was Ruth and Orpah, and they were both Moabites. Ruth and Orpah represent, everybody better get this or you're going to miss the whole point of this sermon. Ruth and Orpah represent the Gentile church that was engrafted into Israel, at least supposed to be. 
Naomi represents the nation of Israel and Boaz represents Christ. So Ruth, whose name means friend, get this, stayed very loyal to Naomi and thought, listen, Ruth became loyal to Naomi. It was Ruth that said, your God will be my God and I'm gonna go where you go and your people, my people, remember that? And through the relationship that Ruth had with Naomi, she found Boaz, a kinsman redeemer, and Boaz put his to lead over her in marriage and she became basically by adoption a Jewess okay now Orpah she decided I'm not going to go with you her name means back of the neck she turned back her back on Israel so to speak her back on Naomi and returned to her pagan gods which by the way the Catholic Church is full of paganism much of the church as we know it today has its roots in the system through Constantine, that root system. But look at this. The Babylonian uh, Talmud records that Orpah gave birth to Goliath, the enemy of Israel. Now, so look at the two, if that's true, look at the two, the difference in their destiny. You have two, what represents two root systems. Orpah represents that root system that goes back to the Catholic Church and has turned their back on Israel. Okay? Ruth represents the root system that is engrafted in Israel. And look at the difference how things turned out for them. Here's the reason I preached on this. The church world as we know it is going to be divided. We will either be like Ruth, a friend of Israel, working the harvest like Ruth was, bringing forth the Messiah to the world, and becoming a bride ready seeing revival, or we're going to be like Orpah, a harlot church who has turned their back on Israel. The harlot one world church will align with the false prophet and antichrist one day. So this is a serious issue when I'm telling you. Your, your root system is serious. Where you have your roots engrafted into is going to affect you. It's going to affect if you're going to remain with Christ or not in many ways. I believe that. So here's the seven things that I'm preaching really strong right now and have been throughout this whole series number one to make sure that you're saved examine yourself there's a lot of people that are religious they talk about Jesus they know who Jesus is but they're not born again they don't really have a relationship with him in 2 Corinthians 13 5 Paul told them you better examine yourself number two I've been telling people you better live holy only those that are living right are going to be in heaven and the Bible is very clear about that, Matthew 7, 21, that there's going to be people calling him Lord. He's still going to send them to hell because they practice lawlessness. Number three, you better make sure and have extra oil and be in revival because the ten virgins, all ten of them were virgins, but only five were ready because they had extra oil. Everything else was the same. It was the oil that made the difference, and they were ready for when the bridegroom came. The next one, number five or four, make sure that you're about the harvest. The end of the age is the harvest. That's where God's heart is right now. You know what? It's, it's not the days of Jacob's trouble yet. The bride is still here. The bride has not been caught away yet. Okay, there's still time to be winning souls. That's what needs to be a priority. The next one, number five, is to return back to Book of Acts Christianity. This is true Christianity with power. Number six, to return to our Hebrew roots. We are engrafted into that olive tree of Israel. In Romans 11, it talks about that. And then the last one, number seven, is I've been talking about we've got to discern the times and realize that we are, in fact, living in the end times and we need to make the most of every opportunity that we're here. 
That's what I've been preaching. And I've got a couple more sermons I'm going to do in the end times, and we're going to be done with it. But the seven feast days are a prophetic timeline. I haven't mentioned it in this series, so I'm just going to say it in passing. But Passover was fulfilled when Jesus died. Unleavened bread was fulfilled when he was in the tomb, his body without yeast, buried in the tomb. And then first fruits was fulfilled when Jesus rose from the dead. He rose from the dead on the day that they celebrate first fruits, on that day. Pentecost was fulfilled when the church was born on the day of Pentecost and the Holy Spirit was poured out. Jesus said, go wait in Jerusalem till I send you the promise of the Father. So we've seen the first four of the feast fulfilled. We're about to see the last three. The day called um, Yom Teruah or Rosh Hashanah is the trumpets, the blowing of the trumpets. That has to do with the rapture, the catching away of the bride. That is coming. And we've got to be ready. I'm telling you, there are people that may call themselves Christians, but they're not ready. If the Lord was to blast that trumpet and the dead in Christ rose and there was a catching away, they're not ready to go. The second thing is this, the Day of Atonement. The Day of Atonement, uh, Yom Kippur, it speaks of the tribulation time, the seven years of tribulation that's going to be in the earth, the days of Jacob's trouble. Very difficult time. And the final thing is when Christ actually comes and his feet touch the Mount of Olives, they split in two, and he comes back to take over the kings of, kingdoms of the world. At that time is going to be the fulfillment of the Feast of Tabernacles. This is how close we are. There were 2,000 years from Adam to Abraham. There were 2,000 years from Abraham to Christ, and there's been 2,000 years from Christ till now. That's how close we are. We're right at the end. So how many of you guys want your root system engrafted in Israel? That's your inheritance. Things that seem Jewish to others, you got to understand that that's your roots. That's your inheritance. Many people in the church world don't realize that that's your inheritance. When we have a shofar here tonight, that's, that's our inheritance. We're engrafted into the vine or I'm sorry, the olive tree, that's our inheritance. When people have a prayer shawl and, and, and people maybe uh, keep the Sabbath and we have the feast and things like that, th that's our inheritance. You understand, that's our root system. All right, so Lord, I pray tonight as we close this out, help us, Lord, all of us to disconnect our roots from things that are not of you and getting grafted into the root system that is of you, that's established in Israel it goes back to Abraham. Oh, that our root system will be into that olive tree that you've planted in the earth where there's a nourishing sap that's flowing from that. And we want to be ready because the wrong root system is going to align itself one day with the false church and the false prophet. And we don't want to have our roots in that system. <laughs> 